And we're going verse by verse through the book of Acts. And as we come to chapter 2, we come to the third greatest event in relation to mankind. Third greatest event in history. I asked somebody this morning, what was the greatest event in history? And it's the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, see, people you know, may say, well, what about creation? What about the flood? Well, okay, all right. But, you know, the greatest actual event was Jesus coming and dying for the likes of us. The second greatest event is the resurrection, the defeat of death. But the third greatest event in history is the day of Pentecost, coming of the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2, look in verse 1. We're just going to start here. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Just stop there for a second there. Talking about the day of Pentecost, everyone seems to think that Christianity is fine as it is. People basically have a, well, just leave me alone, pastor. Now, that's the motto of modern society, but it has crept into churches where they don't want to be bothered. Somebody easily says, don't expect me to do anything, but just come to church on occasion. That's, that's all I want to do. Definitely don't expect me to sacrifice my happiness or my time for the will of God. So if you'd admit it, we're, we're probably one of the most powerless generations in history and it shows in our families it shows and even in our church because the bible says where the spirit of christ is there is liberty there is joy there is power there's unity and there's peace and so many christians don't have those things and that's not right so um there was a day there was a day when God showed the world a different kind of power, when he showed a different kind of Christianity, it was the day of Pentecost. As we just read there, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now, Pentecost means 50. That's all it word. It means 50 or 50 days. It just basically is a celebration of the beginning of harvest, of the wheat harvest in Israel. There were two harvests that Israel celebrated. There were lots of celebrations for different things, but two harvests, there was the Early harvest came in the months of May and June, okay, 50 days after Passover. And then there was a final harvest that was in the September-October time frame, okay? And that's very important because the Holy Spirit came in May and leaves in June, or sorry, in, in uh, September-October. So there's some interesting timing there. Gives you an implication, uh, an, an inference that God knows the schedule. We don't know it, but it's coming. Pentecost was the celebration, the start of the wheat harvest, as I said, and it brought Jews from all over the world to Jerusalem. And they've they've already they came on Passover. They went home, and now they come back at um, uh, at Pentecost, and so Jerusalem is full of between. 50 and 100,000 people are packing in those walls every day for that week. Now, it's been 10 days since Jesus ascended. We talked about him going up last week, and it's been 10 days since he's gone. And um, uh, the disciples, what have they been doing for those 10 days? They've been waiting. They've been praying. They've been together. They've been assembled as a church. So I want to talk uh, about trying to clear up some confusion there. 
about this day of Pentecost because what happened nearly 2,000 years ago is, is very important for us today. Uh, I'm going to answer four questions in this chapter, the rest of this chapter. One of them is, what's so special about the day of Pentecost? Then I'm going to teach you about what is the filling of the Spirit. And that's probably, I wish I could spend all afternoon. I wish you could just, I wish you brought your lunch. Because the most important thing I could ever teach you is, outside of the gospel, is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think we could ever exhaust understanding this concept. Then I'm going to teach you next week about the gift of speaking in tongues. And we're going to talk also about what this world is coming to because Joel, Peter's going to refer to Joel talking about the end of time, the end of days. So let's pray. Father, we just ask you as we humbly bow. We start into this study here in this chapter, God. It's, um, uh, it's very important for us to learn about a power greater than drugs, greater than drink, greater than the governments of this world altogether. You laugh when the governments make plans. Lord, um, the power of the Holy Spirit, if we would just want to be filled with you, we would experience that power and we would do what has never been done before, God. Sometimes we want to walk on water or we, we want to see a miracle, God. I don't care what. I just pray that you would be in charge. I pray for your power and the personal Holy Spirit to be in our lives because of today. <laughs> In your fullness, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to start here with first question. Oh, I already told you that. Let me get through this. Uh, what this world is coming to. Those are four things that I'm going to answer over the next two weeks. So first question I'm going to ask you is, what's so special about the day of Pentecost? So let's read. We started, let's start in verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 21. Just follow along as I read. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. I only wish one thing to be circled here in those words right there. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. You say, what about tongues? Forget tongues. What about the rushing right Mighty rushing wind. Forget about the wind. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. You'd say confused. Because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in all Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya and about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues, the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are just full of new wines. We'll stop there for a second and go back to chapter 1 and verse 4 because Pentecost was an expected event. Acts 1, 4, Jesus, in chapter 1, Jesus 
he was getting ready to leave and he tells the disciples, he said, I want you to wait for someone else to come. I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send another comforter. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. Chapter one and verse four and being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father, which saith he, you've heard of me, the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, what do you so uh, um, they weren't just sitting there in that upper room watching Netflix. They weren't just sitting there twiddling their thumbs. They were waiting for something to happen. And that's what church ought to be. When you come to church, you want to say, God, I need something to happen. I need something to be fixed in my life. I need something to happen in my home. I need you to fulfill a promise. I've been reading the promises, Lord. I've been seeing them. I've been enjoying them. But now I need to see them fulfilled. Lord, I need something to happen. That's how they came to that upper room. So here you come to chapter two, and it's very amazing. This small group of baby Christians, we might call them, because they're just getting organized. They're assembling, they're praying. And notice chapter two, verse one says they're still together. Now, what would it be like if we just came to church and we stayed here for 10 days? We didn't go home. How long would we last? How long until somebody got upset at someone else? These disciples there for 10 days, they were still together. That's a good thing, amen? They were still in that upper room. They were still waiting like they were told to, and they were, as it says, in one accord. They were in unity. They had harmony towards them. They, they overlooked everything. If somebody said something upsetting, whatever, they just, nope, we're going to keep our hearts together now they didn't know what was going to happen and they didn't even know when they just were waiting and then it happened the day of pentecost was a sudden event look in verse two and suddenly i like how the bible puts in those words like wow suddenly there came this a sound from heaven out of the sky as of a rushing mighty wind you might call it like a tornado i don't know and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Normally, wind is outside of the house, isn't it? But this moved into the house. That must have been really weird, okay? And then verse 3, there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Just boom, boom, boom. It all happened so fast. It was a sudden event. So kind of like a storm building up around uh, a, um, uh, don't you, didn't you have that desire when you were a kid, you wished that you could make it rain on your, you know, that bully's house down the, down the street. And I said, Lord, just please rain on that house over there. Well, this is where something began to build up around. It was no normal meteorological event. It was no weather pattern. It wasn't a storm front. A wind began to rush around this house with an upper room, and then it moved into it. Imagine these people throughout the city hear this wind, and they see the effect of it all around this one house, and they start to run to it. They think, I wonder if somebody's hurt. I wonder what's wrong. I wonder where this came from. And they're rushing. It's in, it's in, in an instant. All of this is happening. And isn't it wonderful? that God needs no introduction, that when he shows up, he just shows up. 
That's cool. It was a supernatural event. If we read there, I mean, this wind was not normal, as I said. But the wind came out of nowhere, came crashing down into that house, blowing around inside of that. What had just been a very quiet room was now filled with the sound of that wind. And then flames appeared over the heads of everyone in the room. Now, that'd be kind of freaky. I mean, you'd take your coat off, you start beating somebody's head trying to put the fire out. But there was another time where fire combusted and yet didn't burn. Moses looked up on the top of a mountain there called Mount Sinai, and he saw a bush burning, and he said, huh, must have been lightning. And then he's taking care of the sheep, and he looks up, and that bush is still burning. It's not burned up. He said, oh, it'll be burned up soon enough. And after, I don't know, an hour or two, he kept looking up there, and that bush was on fire and wasn't burning up. He said, I better go see what this is. And up he climbed up there, and he met God, didn't he? And that bush on fire did not burn. So here's the same kind of thing. Now, remember the words, cloven tongues, which means cut. This, the, the flames, I mean, there's, how do you describe it other than, but if you've ever looked at, at a fire as, as what they talk about, it lapping like tongues. So there's one of them over everybody in that room. Um, it was a spirit-filled event. Verse 4 says, well, uh, I'm looking for, yes, and they were all filled with the Spirit, with the Holy Ghost. This is a key phrase. Folks, the wind doesn't matter. The flames don't matter. Speaking in tongues doesn't matter. What matters is they were filled with the Holy Ghost. That is what mattered. Oh, that we would want the filling of the Holy Spirit. I know people who say, I want to speak in tongues. And I remember being 14 years old. Last time I went to a charismatic church as an unsaved kid, I sat down and they went through an all-night meeting with full of teenagers, about 150 teens in there, and they were singing Kumbaya, and they were the music was swaying, and people, kids start speaking in tongues. And over here, there were other people, and they were crying and saying, God, give me the speaking in tongues. And I looked at that thing and I said, God, give me speak, the ability to speak in tongues too. Thankfully, I didn't get anything. But I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there all night long. It never happened to me. And I walked away saying, this is for the birds. And I never went back to church until somebody said, you need to get saved. Didn't tell me I need to go to church. Didn't tell me I need to speak in tongues. Didn't tell me I needed anything but Jesus Christ. And so there's a bit of a wrong emphasis on the speaking in tongues in some churches. There's a bit of wrong emphasis on prosperity and on the happiness and the joy and all that. When what we need is Jesus Christ, what we need is to be saved. And then once we get saved, we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Don't worry about what he does with your life. Worry about getting him. That's the point. It was a spirit-filled event. It was also a prophesied event. Look in verse 12. There in chapter 2, jump back down there to verse 12. We're going to read down to 21. They were all amazed and they were in doubt, saying one to another, what is the meaning of this? What's going on? Remember, there are 120 people speaking at least two different lang 20 different languages all at the same time. What would that sound like? Crazy. 
And so one of them says, what's going on? The other one says, look what he says, they're full of new wine. These guys are drunk with grape juice. Because <laughs> they knew they were teetotalers. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. And he said unto them, ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Pay close attention, for these are not drunken as ye suppose. Seeing it is about the third hour of the day, it's 9 a.m. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs, we'd say miracles, in the earth beneath, but not good ones, blood, war, and fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. Is that a good day or a bad day? It is a bad day. The day of the Lord is not one you want to look forward to, but it's coming. Peter says, and it shall come to pass. I love verse 21. That whosoever shall call on, call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's quoting from Joel. And then he goes on. I got to stop there because we're going to pick this up next week when, when Peter continues to preach. But it was a prophesied event. Think about Peter. Peter just two weeks earlier, less than two weeks earlier, had been afraid of standing up for the Lord. Had been afraid of saying, I'm with Jesus. When the, when the, the men came and they surrounded Jesus and they tied him up and they dragged him to court and they made fun of him and they mocked him and they beat him. Peter lied. I don't even know him. He was afraid. He was defeated. And he went away ruined. He wept because he had no, no ability to stand with his Lord. There's a different day today, isn't there? Peter steps out on that balcony and he begins to speak loud and clear. Amen. Something happened to him. Did he go to school and learn how to preach? No. Uh, did he take, um, uh, what are these monster drinks? Red Bull. Somebody needs to sue them because I've never seen anybody fly. <clears throat> anyway, no, what happened was the filling of the Holy Spirit of God, wasn't it? And he stood up there and he preaches. Look at verse 14. Standing up with the 11, he lifted up his voice, which means he got loud. And he said unto them, ye men of Judea, he's preaching to thousands of people. And all ye that dwell in Jerusalem. Be this known unto you and hearken to my words. These are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is about the third hour of the day. But this miracle is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It's a miracle. You know what he's saying? And it's not only that. It's a sign. It's a sign that we are now in the last days. See, what the Jews didn't realize was that when Jesus came, the clock started for the end of time, for the end of days. And they thought that when they got rid of Jesus, this was the same group that had been there and surrounded Pilate's court, and they called out, crucify him. And Peter's going to remind them, you don't realize who you asked to be crucified. You don't, you don't know who that was. The love of God you rejected. And he's going to go right down and just bring them to the, to the place where they're guilty and they're, they're in need of the one that they killed.
But while before he does that, he says, we're in the last days now. And trouble's coming. It's called Jacob's trouble. It's not Ireland's trouble, even though Ireland's going to get in trouble. It's not England's trouble. It's not America's trouble. It's Jacob, Israel's trouble. And the trouble's coming. We call it the tribulation. Seven years of the worst that you could ever imagine. It's never been and never will be as bad as it will be during those seven years. And they all knew the prophecy of Joel. And there's Paul, uh, Peter saying, it's coming. It's not here yet, but it's coming. All of a sudden, I can just, I can imagine the hair standing on the back of their neck. Their knees beginning to shake. And thankfully, Peter said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's alive, shall be saved. Isn't it nice when somebody tells you the bad news? They tell you there's also some good news. Amen. That's what the gospel is. Nobody appreciates the gospel today because they've never heard the bad news. You're in trouble. And there is the wrath of God coming. And when somebody realizes they deserve nothing but judgment from God, they know their sin is up to heaven. And then they realize there's a way to be saved. Now they take it. Amen. That's the purpose of preaching. It was prophesied and it is an example. Three thoughts of mine. It is an example of the result of passionate, prayerful, patient desire for the filling of the Holy Ghost. The day of Pentecost is the result of passionate, prayerful, patient desire by the Christians for God to give them what they, he promised. It is also an example of what just a bunch of spirit-filled nobodies can do in the kingdom of God. Do you realize those 120 people were just, they were all from Galilee, okay? They, they weren't from Jerusalem. They weren't, they weren't money makers. They weren't high street manipulators. These were farmers and, and, and uh, carpenters and fishermen. These were men and women who had no great talent. They were just family folk. They're up there. And these Christians, once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they turned the world upside down. Do you understand what I'm saying? The day of Pentecost is, is evidence that it doesn't take somebody. It takes a nobody filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And if we wanted the filling of the Holy Spirit more than we want anything else, there is something for us. It's also an example of the power that every church needs today, even today, even our church, to live godly and to stay free from the dominion of sin. You want to know what we need? We we have all the truths. We have all of the teaching. We have all of the tools. We have all of the, um, uh, um, the retreats and the facilities. We need the power of the Holy Spirit is what we need. And the day of Pentecost gives us that. I mean, I'm going to talk more now about what I really want to talk about, and that is the filling of the Holy Ghost. Look back there in verse 4. I'll read it again. This is the point of Pentecost. Acts 2, 4, just the beginning of it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, what is amazing is that you may not know who that is. So let me try and answer that. Who and what is the Holy Spirit? Go to 2 Corinthians. We'll come back here in a moment. But 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, I know you probably grew up knowing 
about the Trinity. You probably grew up quoting part of the Nicene Creed. And, but do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you know who he is? He is God. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14 says this, the grace of, number one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, the love of God, the Father. And number three, the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Three of them. Three and one. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father is God. And just as much God as the Son is God. The three are one. We call him the third person of the Trinity for a reason. Uh, he doesn't show himself. He doesn't want the attention. God the Father is sort of the one throughout the Bible. When you talk to God, you're talking usually to the Father, the one who's constantly in charge of everything. The Son, the Father, as the Word, became a Son and died for us. And He's visible. We, we learn about We watch His life. And we say, I want to be like Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is always at work in the background, kind of like Mom. Kind of like you come home from school, you come home from work, and there's been mom working and preparing dinner, and you sit down, you enjoy the meal, and there's no question. It's just not like, what's going on? No, no, it's just, that's what maybe she does, or maybe it's the guy in your house. I don't know, but let me just say, it's nice when there's somebody always at work in the background and not trying to get attention, just trying to be a blessing. That's the Holy Spirit of God. Now, he's just as important. He's just as powerful, but he takes a different role He's the third person of the Trinity. But the, the saddest thing is, he's unfortunately unknown by most people, even by Christians. They don't realize what they have. So let's talk about what it means to be filled because we need to be full of him. Go to Ephesians. You're in Corinthians. Go to the right. Find Ephesians chapter 5. Just a few pages to the right. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? So many people think it means speaking in tongues or doing miracles or just being happy all the time. Not all to have joy in your heart, but joy sometimes can have some tears at the same time. Many Christians are, are there are people who believe that Christians don't even have the Holy Spirit unless they speak in tongues and all this stuff. Let me show you. I said, yeah, let's look at Ephesians 5.18, and then we'll look at another one. Ephesians 5.18 says, and be not drunk with wine. Wow, what a comparison. You know, a lot of people, if you get drunk, let me tell you, the bottle didn't jump into your mouth. Amen? You went, and you wanted it, and you got it, and you drank it, and you put yourself under the table. Amen? Well, why don't we do that with the Holy Spirit? Be not drunk with wine, where it always is. What? What's the word? excess it always bites in the end but be filled with the spirit if i get filled with wine if i get filled with ishkabaha if i get filled with any kind of alcoholic drink what's going to happen to me i'll be drunk i wonder what i'd be like if i was filled with the holy spirit i would be the opposite of drunk there is no craziness with the holy spirit it's order it's no confusion it's joy it is it is strength Talk about that a little bit later. 
Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Let's read the rest of it. But be filled with the Spirit. Go to Romans 8, 9. Back to the left. Romans 8, 9. Bit of a Bible study as we go through this. Romans 8, 9. As I said, some people think that um, speaking in tongues, see that, no, uh, you, that, that, Christ, that Christians don't have the Holy Spirit unless they're speaking in tongues, but that's not possible. Look at Romans chapter nine, uh, 8 and verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh now, but in the Spirit, now that we're born again, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell where? In you. Watch this. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So you, you can't be saved and not have the Holy Spirit. So somebody says, and I've had people tell me this, Pastor, if you only got the Spirit. Now, I know what they mean. If I only was as excited as maybe as they are or as some famous preacher they know, that's what they mean. But I look right at them and it says, I got the same Holy Spirit you do. The moment I got saved, I got the Holy Spirit. Every believer, I already said that, has the Holy Spirit at salvation? Go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. How do you think you got saved? Oh, I just went to church. Well, that doesn't save you. Well, I just prayed a prayer. That doesn't save you. You know what saves you? The Holy Spirit of God does. John chapter 3. We see my priest pray over me. He can pray over you all day till you die. Even after you die. It doesn't get you anywhere closer to God. You need the Holy Spirit of God to convict you of sin and to bring you to the place where you cry out to be saved and then he gives you life. Look at uh, John 3, in verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily I say unto thee, except a man is born of water, that's your first birth, you're born in a water sack, and of the what? That's the second birth. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. First birth, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh, is only flesh. Your parents' flesh produced your flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit, second birth, is what? So guess what born you again into the kingdom of God? The Spirit of God. You got the Holy Spirit the moment you bowed your head. Some people say, well, do I have to pray a special? No, you don't have to pray a special prayer. Well, do I have to go to special? You don't have to go to special. You got to cry out to Almighty God and say, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I'm lost and I've tried everything else and I'm just trusting Jesus Christ. Before you finish that cry, he's already put the Holy Spirit in you and says, welcome home. You're in. <laughs> Hallelujah. Show you this. First uh, Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six and verse 19. I like, Paul talks like my mother. What? <laughs> Did your mama ever do that? She'd come into your room and go, what? Look at that thing. Well, listen to Paul. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? He's amazed. He says, don't you know this? Know you not that you're what? What's the word? Your body. That physical thing you carry around, you bathe, you primp up, you... You know, you dress up and you go through life with. Your body is now the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is where? 
which is in you, which you have of God. You got it from God. You got them from God. And ye are not your own anymore. Go, go, to, uh, go to John 14. John 14, verse 16. I've had people say, Pastor, I think I've lost the Holy Spirit. Well, if, if, I, if, if we could lose him, I would have lost him too. There's not a man or a woman alive who could ever keep the Holy Spirit in them, keep themselves right enough to be worthy of him. Look at this. John 14, 16. We do not mind. We are glad for kids. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you for how long? Now, I know you probably wouldn't like me moving into your house and stay there forever. Right? But the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he never leaves. Amen? He doesn't leave. He's in us and with us forever. So let's go on. Few Christians are filled with him. Few Christians. We're like empty cups. I mean, I think about this cup here. Simple illustration. I mean, this is an empty glass. And um, I could put, you know what most Christians are like? If we all have the Holy Spirit, this is what we've got. <laughs> that's all we have of him. Now, it's enough. But that's all we have. When the Bible says, we just read it there in Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, that's filling up the cup, isn't it? But be filled with the Spirit. Isn't that what we're supposed to be? All the way. How many of you like a cup of coffee that's only half full? I hate that. I mean, you go to a restaurant there, and they give you this little tiny cup. Man, where, do they, where do they come up with something? That's some European came up with that thing, man. But you want... You want, when you get a cup of coffee or a, a cup of tea or something, you want it as full as possible. Now, if you want to put milk in, not all the way to the top, that's all my water there. But wouldn't it be nice that when God gives you something, it fills to overflowing? Now, the truth is, Jesus even told the, uh, the Jews that back in John chapter 7. And, um, and he said, if you come to me, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. He told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he said, if you knew the gift of God, who you're talking to, you'd ask of him and he'd give you a well. I don't get just a drink. I get the whole well. And it just overflows and overflows. There's enough of him that I never run out if I want to be full. And yet so few Christians are filled with him. What does that mean to be filled? As I said, all Christians, and, and don't misunderstand, say, well, pastor, I understand you might be able to be worthy of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but I know that I can never live. Don't ever, ever deny what we were commanded. It says, be filled. Therefore, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. It is for every. Well, I can't even read the Bible. You don't have to read it. You just have to hear it. Faith doesn't come by reading the Bible only. It comes by hearing. And if you would believe it, and if you would say, dear God, whatever pastor's saying, it rings in my heart is true. It speaks to me like I have not been speaking to in a long time. I want it. Believe me, it's available to you. It is for all of us, and we should be filled. What does it mean? 
Well, as I just gave you a simple illustration, it means to be filled with the presence of the Spirit of God. Not just a drop, but full. Not knowledge. I know people, they are bonkers full of knowledge about the Bible. That never saved anybody. Head knowledge doesn't do you any good. Now, you ought to learn the Bible. You ought to grow in knowledge. But don't you trust your knowledge. <laughs> there are people who are filled with emotions. Oh, I went to church and I had a great service. It was so uplifting. The music and, 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 and the, this, the love. Yeah, they're full of emotion. But when are we ever filled with the Holy Spirit of God? You know, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can be in prison. And it'll be all right. Amen. You can be in the hospital getting ready to go through surgery and it'll be all right. You see, we want we want prosperity. We want the good life. We want the money. We want the, the, the excitement when the Holy Spirit doesn't promise any of that. He promises joy in the sorrow, joy in the darkness. And when we're completely filled with his presence, there's no more room for me. There's no more room for the world. There's no more room for sin. That's how I want to be. Watch this. Go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. One of the most important verses for you to memorize if you haven't yet. Galatians 2.20. <clears throat> how many you hate? You don't have to raise your hand, but just nod your head. How many you hate it when the devil comes knocking and, and you know, you know he, he's just going to take over now? Wouldn't you like it so that he can't get in? Wouldn't you like it so that he's kept out of your life, at least for a little while? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no room for him. Look at your Bible. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. There's that great event again. Nevertheless, I'm still here. I live. Yet not I, but watch this, but Christ liveth in me now. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I don't even live by my own faith. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Go to one more, Colossians, to the right, Colossians, chapter 1, verse 27. To be completely filled with the Spirit of Christ in me. Colossians 1, 27 says this. This is a mystery to most people. Start in verse 26, even the mystery which hath been hid from all ages and from generations, but now is made manifest, is openly explained, openly declared to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the very hope of glory. I wonder what it would be like to be so full of him. I mean, I know I'm commanded to love him. But wouldn't it be nice if he was just filling me instead of my fears filling me. I mean, there are people, you noticed yesterday, all of the news were, oh, if you're a little worried about opening up Ireland, listen, you know, just take it easy, take a breath. They know people have had fear shoved down their throat for the last two years, and they know it's going to be hard coming off of the addiction to fear. It's exactly what they're worried about. But the only way to overcome that thing, and I'll say it in a moment, is Filled with the Spirit and the fear is not there. There's no room for it. Secondly, to be controlled by. 
Now, that's very important. Spirit-filled men and women have chosen to be obedient to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. When you read the Bible, you're not just reading, you're listening. And you're listening for another voice besides your own that says, yep, that's you. <laughs> yep, that's what you need to work on. Whoa, that's your problem. And you become obedient to that voice. You say, Lord, whatever you say, whatever you want us to do. Peter is on a boat. He is rowing in to the shore. There's Jesus there saying, um, head out just a little bit and go fishing again. Peter says, we've fished all night long. And Jesus says, do it for me. Peter goes, all right, Lord, if you say so. And over he throws the net, didn't catch anything all that night, throws the net. He's not even five meters out from the shore. And he throws the net on the other side. And in a split second, the boat is shifting because there's so many fish in that net. What did he do? He just obeyed. He let the Lord be Lord. And when you let the Holy Spirit, he's not going to tell you to do something wrong. He's going to guide you. And if you'll let him. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit is you are yielding to Him. What good would a car be if when you ran out and you said, man, I got to get to the shop before it closes. And you get into the car and you turn the key and the car went, no. You went, start up. And you turn the key and the car just looked at you and went, not doing it. I'm done for the night. <laughs> what if you drove the car and as you're driving, you say, oh, I got to get off this exit. And you turn and the car says, I don't want to go there. I want to go down a little further. You wouldn't trust that car anymore, would you? You'd put that car to rest, amen? And yet when the Holy Spirit comes in and says, Craig, turn. And I go, oh, no, I want to go on down a little further. The Lord says, give that person a track. And I go, no, I'm not starting today. To be filled with spirit means to be completely affected by, led by, controlled by him. When you are filled with the spirit, you're overwhelmed. I believe that there is no problem, no sorrow, no defeat, no failure that can resist the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe it. When the Holy Spirit is at work, nothing can stop him. You know what Jesus did? He came along and he said, every time I kick a demon out of somebody or I raise the dead, I did it by the Spirit of God. Even death cannot stop the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't claim that power, but I know the Holy Spirit can do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? He can overwhelm all your depression, all the past, all your sorrows. Whew. Isn't that funny that Paul says, being on a drug with wine, where is it everybody goes when they're sad? Where does everybody go when the world is just beating them to death? They go to the drink. They go to the bottle. They go to the drugs. What is it when there is a person, the Holy Spirit, that is a better overwhelmer? What do they say when you oh, he's drowning his sorrows, isn't he, in the bottle? Why don't you drown your sorrows in the blood of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit of God? Last thought about the filling of the Holy Spirit is that person in you empowers, enables you to do whatever God asks you to do. Um, I got this example of a work glove. How strong is this work glove? Hmm? You scared of it? It's nothing. Hand it back to me. All right. But the moment it becomes filled, now are you scared of it? 
Did you might see my example. Ain't nobody scared of that thing. But you put such massive, incredible power in it, like what you see right here. You fill that ugly, dirty glove. It becomes a force, doesn't it? Amen? Now, that's a stupid example. You understand. And yet it's right up our alley. That, whatever that, that glove could have done on its own is nothing compared to what it can do in the hands of a mighty power to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll show you how powerful the Holy Spirit is. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians, you're in Colossians. Go back to the left, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians six in verse nine. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You're not getting in if you've got sin in you. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You're not getting in. Verse 11 says, and such were. I like that word. It's in the past. Say, well, I still struggle with it. Yeah, but do you live in it or are you defeating it? Look what he says. And such were some of you, but ye are now washed. Ye are sanctified. You're cleaned up and ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the power of of the spirit of our God. I put the power in there. I want you to understand by the spirit of our God. That's some power. You know what that is? That's a relationship. I just don't go and switch it on. I just spend time with him and I yield to him and I ask God to fill me with him. And I ask God, I say, God, there's too much of me here today. I want to be filled with you. And if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, let me give you three thoughts real quick. How to become filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Number one, become born of him. We read there in, in John chapter 3, you must be born of the Spirit. Everyone has been born into some religion somewhere, but Jesus said you must be born again. He was speaking to Jews who were born into Judaism. If anybody was physically, culturally in a religion, it was the Jews. Couldn't escape it. And Jesus said to those Jews, you got to be born all over again. No one is born again by baptism or by a church. Oh, I went to that church and I got born again there. Then you didn't get born again. You have to get born again there. That's how you get born again, by the Spirit of God. Second thing, you need a desire to be full of Him. <laughs> I don't know if I should give this example. But here's a person, here's a young lad. And he wants to be married, but he doesn't really want to be married. And he kind of wants to go and talk to that girl, but he doesn't really want to go talk to her. I just, man, it, it, I, I can't handle that. Either you do or you don't. Amen. If you desire to get married, start the process. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And if you desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then mean it with all your heart. Yearn for it. The Holy Spirit does nothing where he is not wanted. 
See, people want to just, well, I'm sitting here. I'm just a good little boy, Pastor. I'm just waiting. If the Holy Spirit wants to use me, oh, I guess he can. He won't. You know what those disciples were doing in that upper room? Waiting, desperately saying, come, Holy Spirit. We don't understand what's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. But we were promised that you were coming. And we desire to be filled. And they were. Get a desire. This morning, from now on, say, every morning I'm waking up and the thing I'm praying is, good morning, fill me. Fill me so that I'm not me, but I'm more like Jesus. The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit in my life is so that I'm more like Jesus. Ask God to fill you with himself every day. You know how many times your car needs petrol or diesel? All the time. Guess how much you need the Holy Spirit all the time. Third thought, yield to him. Anybody want to pronounce it for me? I don't know how to pronounce the Irish for yield. Say the other. Glacially. <laughs> I knew I was going to mess it up, but it means yield. You know, it's one thing to want to be filled. It's another thing to allow him to fill you. We always put conditions on relationships. With God, no conditions. He's Lord. I let him be in charge. Does that make sense? So what do we do if you're going to yield? It means get small. It's one thing. I'm, I'm driving on the highway, and a lorry is coming onto the road there, down a ramp, coming onto the, the south link. Guess what I do? I get out of his way, amen? <laughs> the lorry wins, doesn't he? Okay? But you see, when the Holy Spirit works, He's got the power of a lorry, but he has the presence of a dove. And if you got a little bitty mini, you know, a 1962 mini, shaking along, coming down that ramp, you go, ha, 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 I'm just going to stay here and he can get behind me. You ever done that? Come on. The Holy Spirit comes along your life and says, Craig, you know what I need to do? Back off, back down, get small. Let him be big. Let him be in charge of your words and your attitudes and your heart. Because as you get small, he fills. The more, now, I mean, I, I give you a simple illustration there. If, if I can't, if this thing was filled with stones and rocks and sticks, can I put my hand in there very easily? No. And most of us are so full of this world that we need a good emptying time. We need a time where all that stuff comes out so something better can go in and can use us. So yield to him every day. Whenever you're reading the Bible, I wish we were a church. I have prayed and I've asked that we would be a church that whatever God says, we will do. It's not that big a deal. It's not that hard. I just Whatever he says, little things, big things, I'll just do it. And that's when he'll start to fill you. Next week, I'm going to answer two more questions. What is the gift of tongues? Because there's a lot of confusion about that, baby. And I'm going to tell you what the world is coming to, and it ain't pretty. How many are aware that Russia is going to be playing with missiles just off the coast of Cork in the next few weeks, next 10 days? The world is not a nice place. You better get saved. We have no guarantee. Oh, we're free. COVID is going away. Ah, uh, something else is coming. 
It never stops. What is this world coming to? It doesn't matter. I'm out of here. You understand what I'm saying? When, when, when um, Peter said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, it's the greatest news ever. You can miss it all. Let me finish up with just two thoughts. Pentecost was one event in history. It happened exactly 50 days after Passover, and that was it. The cloven tongues of fire have never happened again. You've never been to a church where people's hair got on fire and it wasn't burning them. It's a one-off event. But the coming of the Holy Spirit of God is something we need now. He came. The question is, are we filled? As I said at the beginning, it is, um, is the signal, the coming of the Holy Spirit, his arrival signaled things are about to happen. Now it's all in God's time. Everything is always according to God's time. God's given us 2,000 years of delay. I don't think he's going to wait much longer, do you? I've read my Bible. This chip and plant, sure, that they're putting over there in Sweden and everybody's in their right hand, sure matches my Bible to the letter. There's something that Mr. Elon's working on. It's a little device that sits on the back of your ear, and it has 100 probes going into the, the cerebral cortex of your brain so that you can think things and so that the world can think for you. In your head? in your forehead or in your right hand. I don't have to be told Jesus is coming back. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and people are not ready. Are you? Experiencing the fullness of the Spirit of God is the most important thing that you and I need. We've experienced everything else. Some people have experienced some of the darkest sins. Some people have experienced the highest of heights. It's time for us to know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we are, we won't be walking around quacking like ducks and rolling on the floor. We'll be the boldest, loudest, most passionate, most compassionate people on the planet with the gospel. That's what it would be. And numbers don't matter. What matters is the lost hearing Jesus is alive and is coming back. Will you stand with me and pray? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to ask you again, are you ready? <clears throat> Say, I'm religious. Yeah, that didn't, that didn't work with God. The Jews were religious. But I'm trying to be a good person. That doesn't work with God. The only good person who ever was on this planet was named Jesus Christ. You and I are not good enough. Are you ready? How do you get ready? Call upon the name of the Lord. His name is Jesus. Call on him. Ask him right now. Ask him to save you. He, he had you on his heart when he died on that cross. And if you walk away and say, I don't need him, you're turning away from the greatest gift ever offered. And there's no second chance. When you die, it's over. Say, well, I know my family will pray for me. They can pray all day till the cows come home. You must be born again now. Today is the day of salvation. If you're not saved, get saved today. Christian. Just as important as, as being saved. Woo. If nothing ever has happened in my life, I'm blessed. But just as important as now living like Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, not living like the old me. I want to live like I'm saved, but I can't do it on my own. I do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray and ask God to fill us.
daily with himself. Father, we do bow before you right now. And as we go through these pages in the book of Acts, we see something that maybe we don't have. And we don't need the gift of tongues. We don't need a, mush, a rushing mighty wind. But we do need the Spirit of God. Our families need godly, spirit-filled men. Our cities need godly, spirit-filled Christians. Our world is, is in need of somebody who really, really passionately believes you're there and that you're the answer. And yes, we've gathered here. We all claim to believe all these things, but we're not living it. The reason why we're not living is because we're not full of you. So help us, Lord, help us to be filled with you. In Jesus' name, amen.